And obviously they panic. They become frantic. They're looking for him. They go to all the family and friends. They can't find him. So they're like, we've got to go back to Jerusalem and find him. It takes them three days. They finally find him. And he's sitting there at the temple. They discover him. They find him. And we find that in verse 48. He says, they don't know what to think. So why have you done this to me? What are you thinking? Why are you here? You're falling out. I've been frantic searching for you everywhere. It turns out that Mary is looking for a boy and Jesus is growing into a man. Very little is known about Jesus' young life. Except for one recorded story, we're clueless to his life as a child, a teenager, and a young man to the age of 30. But the story found in Luke of Jesus being lost by his parents reveals a great deal about who Jesus was and who he was growing to be. You have joined us for message number 10 entitled Tween Jesus of the series Luke the Gospel Truth. This is Faith Life, and now, Pastor Jared Arnett. We're going to jump into the sermon this morning. We're in Luke chapter 2, uh, starting in verse 41, and um, this is an exciting passage of Scripture. I think it's, uh, it's interesting to read through, um, and, and we find, if you've ever had the question, what was Jesus like as a kid? Um, this is the, the most insight we get into that from Scripture. This is where we hear the first words recorded by Jesus, uh, and he's 12 years old uh, at this point. So this is an interesting time for Jesus. So the title of the sermon is Tween Jesus. That means preteen in our lingo today, if you're wondering what is a tween. So this is 12-year-old Jesus, all right? We're going to look at 12-year-old Jesus' life, see what it means to us, what we can take from it, what we can learn from him, even at 12 Years old. We all have stories about our kids. If you're a parent, if you're not a parent, your parents have stories about you. Um, and so this is the truth of it. And I, I've got those. You know, I shared about Harker last week. So it's only fair to share about Rosalind this week, our daughter. She's 14. Um, and I don't know if she's in here. She's loving. She's so happy I'm talking about her. Um, but there was a time when we were, uh, she was maybe four or five years old, and we were in, in New York City. And uh, I had gone, I had to be in, I think I was in D.C. for work, and we just decided to make a weekend and drive on up and just see it and experience, take her there. And uh, it was like really fast trip, two nights, but we were out touring, and we decided to go in Trump Tower. This was while he was, he was president. And so we decided to go in Trump Tower, and so we just wanted to see it and see what it was like. And so we, uh, we walked in the lobby, and there's a Starbucks like upstairs. We walked up and got a coffee, and and came back down. And as you come back down to, to go out the doors that leave, there's kind of two doors, and in between was a, a wall with uh, like the rope and stanchions, like you'd see at a movie theater, you know, the post and the rope that goes between them and latch, like this section was blocked off. Well, we were walking up toward the door, uh, me and Bethany were, <laughs> and Rosy, four or five years old, she begins running toward the middle section. She, she doesn't see this rope as a barricade. She sees it as a jump rope that she's going to try to jump. And so she's running toward it, and we're saying, don't, no, stop, 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 don't, 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 as every parent has done so many times in their life, to no avail. So she runs, and she's going to jump over this rope, and instead she lands on the rope. And so both the stanchions, these heavy metal posts on the side, collapse and hit the tile floor, you can imagine what that sounds like, gunshots, all right? The, everybody in the place, it'd be like pin drop dead silence, and there's our four-year-old little girl just standing looking like, what have I done? 
And so we were like, we didn't know what was going to happen. Secret service obviously was there in the building. So they ran over to us immediately, and I thought, we're going to be in trouble. And they were so nice and kind to her. And, uh, you know, you, you get outside and you say what every parent has said to the child. What were you thinking? <laughs> Don't ever do that again. We almost went to jail. I didn't know what was going to happen. And, and so we all have these stories that we tell about our kids, or your, your parents have the stories they tell about you, and you just hate to hear them. We're getting ready to read a passage of Scripture that I just really believe Mary, the rest of her life, would probably be able to laugh about at some point, and she'd be sitting around having coffee or breakfast or at the dinner table, and she'd say, let me tell you about the time I lost the Messiah. Because this is what happens right here. She loses him, and yeah, she'd probably giggle about it and laugh about it. So this is that type of story, and you see, Jesus, what we learn about this is about Jesus' humanity. We spend a lot of time talking about his divinity, the fact that he was 100% God. He was fully God incarnate, but he was also fully human, and those two things just messed with our mind. So this is going to be a little bit of a deep sermon. I, don't, I try not to go deep very often, but this is really important, so we're going to spend a little time in this, studying this out. Um, but, but it's important, as we learn here, Jesus had stories told about him as a kid, just like your kids do, just like I did. Think about that. He was that type of person. He lived that real into the humanity of who he was called to be. So let's read this passage of scripture, find out what happens, and then I'm going to kind of paraphrase it, give you settings of two different scenes. The first scene is Jesus, lost and found. The second one is Jesus, the, the son of the heavenly father and the son of Mary. We kind of see these two things happening here. So let's read the passage of scripture in Luke chapter 2 verse 41 is where we're starting. Every year Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth, but Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents didn't miss him at first because they assumed he was among the other travelers. But when he didn't show up that evening, they started looking for him among their relatives and friends. When they couldn't find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search for him there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers, listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. His parents didn't know what to think. Son, his mother said to him, why have you done this to us? Mary, just a mom, what were you thinking? Why have you done this to us, Mary said to him. Why have you done this to us? Your father and I have been frantic, searching for you everywhere. But why did you need to search, he asked. Didn't you know that I must be in my father's house? Now, if you're used to the King James Version, it says, must be about my father's business. And so you go to the Greek, and either of these two can kind of play out there. They mean the same thing, is I need to be doing the Lord's work. I need to be doing my heavenly father's Work. I need to be with him most importantly. And in verse 50, we find Mary and Joseph, it says, But they didn't understand what he meant. Then he returned to Nazareth with them and was obedient to them, and his mother stored all these things in her heart. Jesus grew in wisdom and in stature and in favor with God and all the people. All right, that's it. That's our 11 verses, I think it is. 
So much happening here. I want to give you just scene one, lost and found, Messiah, give you some setting of what is happening here. Um, a lot of time has passed since verse 40. Um, and, and so we, we, we hear about Jesus when, he, when he's born. We hear about uh, eight days after he's born. Then we hear kind of 40 days after he was born. And then it jumps to 12 years old. The scripture doesn't say a lot about what happens between 40 days and 12 years. We really don't know what was happening in Jesus' life. And then it really doesn't say anything about what happens between 12 and 30 when he starts his ministry. 18 years. When we go to chapter 3 next, next week, next time we're together, 18 years will have passed in Jesus' life. And so you've got to get that kind of recognition of what's happening here in the season um, and, and what's going on. There, So at 12, Jesus would have almost been an adult. At 13 in the Jewish culture, you became a son of the law. You became a man. You were responsible to go to the temple yourself, make your own sacrifice. Like He was, he was becoming an independent person. It's like he's 17 in our culture. And some of you are saying, I don't know any independent 18-year-olds. All right, like I thought that was going to happen, and it's still waiting on it at 24. But this is what happened uh, with Jesus. He was 12, so it was almost his turn. Next year when he came back, he was going to be participating in all the rituals and the sacrifice and being part of the work. And th these caravans, they would travel once a year to Jerusalem for the Passover. Hundreds, sometimes thousands would travel together. And so that when they get to Jerusalem, Jesus gets there, and he begins to hang out in the temple courts. With, with the religious leaders of the time. It, it could have been, who knows, it could have been Gamaliel, Hillel. There were all kinds of Jewish leaders. It could have been Nicodemus. I mean, there, there's no, it doesn't say who was there, but it says the brightest minds of the Pharisees and the Sanhedrin and the Jewish, they would gather there at the temple courts. I don't know if you ever walked around downtown and seen our courthouse front steps crew. Right in every town, there's somebody that sits around the front steps. And maybe they're the brightest minds. I think they probably, I'm not making an opinion of that. <laughs> but here in the temple, I love all those guys. Here in the temple were the greatest minds of the time. It would make no sense for a 7th grader, a 12-year-old to go, maybe go listen, definitely not participate. This would have been like a seventh grader today showing up at NASA and going into the conference room with the rocket scientists and saying, all right, all right, guys and girls, what are we doing here? And they'd be like, why are you here? You don't even know the first law of physics yet. You know, like, this is, they should, he should not have been sitting there debating and talking with these, these people who were brilliant. You know, something I was thinking about as I was studying this is very likely, because they would debate all the scripture, the truth, the basic doctrines of God and truths of God. And I almost, you know, you can just believe that at some point in this time, the topic of the Messiah probably came up. Can you think about that? That they probably were talking about what the Old Testament had said and prophesied about the Messiah, not knowing that this 12-year-old boy who is sitting here with them is the Messiah. It does say they were amazed as he sat and he reasoned with them and he asked them questions. So he's sitting there and he's hanging out and he's so, he's so engaged with that that Mary and Joseph and the whole troop that he came with, they leave to go back home. 
And it would have been very possible, you know, you think, there's two things here people, a lot of people say. is like, well, Jesus, did he sin? Was he disobedient to his, to his mother or his, his mom and dad by staying there and not telling him where he was at? Obviously, we know that's not true because the scripture says he never sinned. He said he was about his father's business. Maybe he was answering to a higher call here, okay? Second thing is, well, how can Mary and Joseph lose Jesus? And, and so there's, this is a very real possibility. All of your parents, have you ever been, have you ever said this? I thought you had him. <laughs> or, I thought you were watching her. You don't have her? I don't have her. Where's she at? And, and so this would have been possible because in this huge troop, hundreds of thousands, and Jesus is 12, almost 13, he would have been independent, kind of hanging out with other family and friends, traveling on his own. It would have been kind of like, you know, I expect it. You let your kid out to play outside, and when it gets dark, they show back up. And so they're traveling, and the women would travel up front, and the, the children usually, the men would travel in the back. It's very possible that Joseph thought he was with Mary, and Mary thought he was with Joseph. And they get there, and it says they get in the evening, and he never shows up. And obviously they panic. They become frantic. They're looking for him. They got all the family and friends. They can't find him. So they're like, we've got to go back to Jerusalem and find him. It takes them three days. They finally find him, and he's sitting there at the temple. They discover him. They find him. And we find that in verse 48. He says, they don't know what to think. So why have you done this to me? What are you thinking? Why are you here? You're falling out. I've been frantic searching for you Everywhere. It turns out that Mary is looking for a boy and Jesus is growing into a man. I think about when, uh, I don't know if you like the movie Home Alone 2. And what it must have felt like, you know, they get to Florida and the mom and they're passing all the luggage down. Kevin, Kevin, give this to Kevin. He goes to Kevin, it gets to the end, and he's like, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here, Kevin's not here. It gets all the way back, and the mom gets it, Kevin's not, Kevin! Right? Like, it's that moment. Mary had that exact moment with Jesus. And now she's found him, and he says, why are you looking for me? So we have the, in this first scene of the lost and found Messiah, all kinds of interesting things happening. You're listening to Faith Life with Pastor Jared Arnett from New Beginnings Fellowship Church in Pikeville, Kentucky. This is message number 10 of the series, Luke, the Gospel Truth. Let's continue listening as Pastor Jared Arnett continues his message on the humanity of Jesus. The second thing we see here as he begins to speak to her in verse 49 is that he is making this case, and this is something that, that we're going to spend just a minute on, is that he, he, he says something, he says, I must have been in my father's house or about my father's business. This would have been very normal, kind of, in the culture because it was very common that if you had a son as the dad, the father, you would pass your trade on to your son. So we know Joseph was a carpenter, and we know eventually Jesus takes up carpentry and begins working with wood and working with his hands. But here he's sitting in the temple, and he looks at his, his, his earthly mom and dad and says, didn't you know that I must be about my father's business? And Joseph's like, you ain't building no house here. You know, you're not building furniture here. 
And it says it confused them, and yet he's speaking to this truth and this reality that, that he has a heavenly father, that he is the son of God. And somehow Mary and Joseph, who've had angels come to them and had dreams and had confirmation from Simeon and Anna that this is the Messiah, it says they don't understand what he meant. And Jesus is like confused. He's like, you know I'm the Messiah and the Son, and i got to be about this, this work of my Father. I love as we see what he's doing here. He's sitting in this place. It says he sat with them. He listened to them. He asked these probing questions. This is Jesus learning. In the end, verse 52, it says he grew in wisdom. Now, this forces me into some probing questions, honestly, as I was studying this. Some probing questions like, when, you just got to hang with me for a minute, all right? When did Jesus realize he was the Messiah? When did he realize he was God incarnate when he was God in the flesh. I don't know. Maybe Mary and Joseph time that, but the scripture doesn't really speak to it. Did, and these are questions I grew up as a kid thinking, did Jesus? Like, I just thought he automatically knew everything, okay, because he's God in the flesh. But this teaches us he had to learn the scripture. He had to learn the scripture. He grew in wisdom. He was hungry for the word of God. He was hungry to understand it deeper and better and more. This is God in the flesh. And so you, all these probing questions, what does it mean that Jesus was fully man and fully God? So we've got to wrestle with that just for a minute. There's scripture that, that tell us uh, Jesus claims to be God. In John 10, 30, he says, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. John 8, 58, he says, Before Abraham was born, I am. That's my favorite misappropriation of verb tense and whatever that's called. Before Jesus was born, I am. That makes no sense, right? It made total sense to the Hebrews, and it was shocking. Because those were the words that God had spoken to Moses. He said, I am the great I am. And then you have this man in the flesh who's grown up just like every little boy. He says, before Abraham was born, I am. Whew. Controversial. He's claiming to be God. But at the same time, we have Hebrews 2.17. The author was writing, he said, he is fully, he became fully human in every way fully human in every way Luke 2:52 which we've already read here where it says he grew in wisdom and stature it tells us Jesus was hungry at times he was thirsty he grew weary he needed sleep he felt sorrow and grief he wept he became fully human he lived into the humanity. And always but one, he did one thing that we cannot do. He never sinned. Find a scripture, he never sinned. So we've got to wrestle just a minute with this challenge of two natures. He's God and he's man. And so how do we reconcile these things? Because God is omniscient. That means he knows all things. God is omnipresent. That means he's everywhere. 
He's omnipotent. It means he has all the power in the world at his fingertips and can unleash it at any point. All right, well, let's, let's look at the story of Jesus. Now, listen, I didn't go to seminary. I don't know a whole lot except what I learn and study and read and beg for the Holy Spirit to share with me. This is a complicated thing, all right? So you're going to have to hang on for just a second and just walk with me. I didn't come up with all this. This is one book. I'm going to use some things from it. It's called Four Chair Discipleship by a guy named Dan Spader. It's also all kinds of other scripture study guides, uh, commentaries about this that I've just filtered through over the last week, all right? So I want you to hang with me just for a second. There's evidence in the New Testament Jesus did not know everything. He was not omniscient. Matthew 24, 36, he did not know the time of his return. Luke 8, 45, when the lady touched the hem of his garment, he turned around and said, who touched me? He didn't know who touched him until they said, this lady. In 2.52, we find that he grew in in wisdom and stature. He did not know the scripture. Matthew 14, we find that he did not know his cousin John the Baptist had been beheaded until they came and told him. Wait, I, I just always thought Jesus knew everything. He was just like God and he knew everything all the time. We find that he wasn't all-powerful. You remember the story? Jesus was in his hometown Galilee, and and he said, I could not perform miracles there. They wouldn't receive it. In John 5, 19, he says, Very truly, I tell you, the Son can do nothing by himself. This is Jesus speaking. He said he can only do what he sees his Father doing. John 5, 30, he said, By myself, I can do nothing. All right. But Jesus did do miracles. All kinds of miracles. Jesus also, at times, read people's thoughts and minds and knew what they were thinking. Remember when they dropped the man down through the roof and he saw the people around him? He says, Why are you doubting in your hearts that I can do this? He was able to discern. But if we take all this scripture together, it was because Jesus, as a human, was yielding to the Father like no one had ever done and ever will again. He had surrendered his... While he was a human, he was surrendering and yielding to the Father. The Father was working in him and through him, and and he did. He spent time praying. He spent time just like any other human needs to do to access these resources that are available to all of us. His miracles weren't necessarily proof of his divinity. You can't say that because the disciples continue to do miracles. Moses did miracles. Elijah did miracles. It, It was confirmation of his Messiahship that Jesus was the one sent. That would atone all man's sins, that he would live perfectly, fulfill the law, be crucified, and raise again. This was the confirmation of who he was. Dan Spader in his book says, Working wonders does not prove that a person is divine. It proves that they are yielded to what God has chosen to do through them for his purposes. I want you to see Philippians 2 where we can get some scripture and understand this a little bit better. 
In your relationships with one another, Paul writes, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, there he said it, Jesus was God. I'm not saying he's not God, he was fully God. He said, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. All right, are you with me for a minute? What, 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 we're, what I'm saying is Jesus as God in heaven, eternity past, in the beginning was the Word. He chose when He came to earth to veil, V-E-I-L, to surrender His divinity. That while he was going to walk on earth, he may be carrying the God card, all right, that, that has infinite, infinite credit limits and it, it expires in eternity. He's carrying, but he's not going to use it. That he is surrendering all that authority and he steps in as a baby, just like you and I step in as a baby. And you know, he, need, he got hungry and he needed to be fed. He needed to be changed. He scraped his knee at some point and his mom had to be like, come here, baby. Let me kiss it and make it better. He stepped into this this, this. this humanity. And so what does it mean for us? This idea that, that he surrendered, that he veiled his divinity, his power, his strength, and, and surrendered only to the Father. What does it mean? Well, one, this is Jesus, the Messiah, Son of God. I want you to just think about this. If Jesus grew in wisdom, we probably should too. All right, this is the Messiah, the Son of God. If he was hungry to be at the temple courts and sitting with them and listening to them and answering questions and wanting to study the Scripture and know more about the Scripture, like if this, the Son of God, is living into that, that probably should be something we kind of look at. <laughs> like we should have a hunger for Scripture, for the Holy Spirit to teach us, to surround us with people that are pouring into us, that we can ask questions, that we want to know more, we want to understand more. We just have a heart for it. We should never get to the place where, like, I kind of got it figured out, I'm just going to live the rest of my life. Every believer in this room should have a priority in their life to know more about the Scripture and God. We should be on fire for that. And if the other parts of our life feel wonky, that's probably because this one is. And so he had this, this idea, if he grew in wisdom, so should we. The incredible thing here I want you to think about is that he had the same resources we have. He had the Holy Spirit. Scripture says he was conceived by the Spirit, anointed by the Spirit, filled with the Holy Spirit, sealed by the Spirit, led by the Spirit, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit, performed miracles by the power of the Spirit. In Romans, Paul says he was raised by the Spirit. He had the Holy Spirit. Guess what Jesus promised when he left? He said, I will send you an advocate, a helper, that won't be just with you, going to be in you. And on Pentecost, the Holy Spirit came down and indwelled the first believers, and every believer since then has the Holy Spirit living inside of you. Something supernatural happens when you give your life to Jesus. He takes up residence and you. You become his temple. Do we live like that? Or do we live like maybe today it'll be okay? Or do we live like the Holy Spirit is living inside of me? The same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. Jesus also had prayer. 
90 different times it's referenced that the Son of God went away, got quiet, and talked to the Father. He prayed. He had access to prayer. The same thing we just sang about earlier when Jesus was resurrected, this veil that hung in the temple that separated the holiest of holies that only the, the high priest could go into and all the other people in the country just had to wait and see what the high priest, when he interacted with God, what they found out. He, that veil was torn and every believer as an advocate with the Father and has access to pray and talk directly to Abba Father. He prayed, we can pray. Jesus continually quoted scripture. He had the Old Testament scripture. We're blessed with that and the New Testament. We have the scripture, God's word, divinely inspired and errant, breathed into the truth right at our fingertips, on our phone, on our iPads, so much so we don't even appreciate it. When you have people in, in, in China who are, who are in jail, they get their hands on a Bible and they memorize it because they may never get their hands on another one. We have it right at our fingertips. And then Jesus had community. Same thing that we have. He, had, he was surrounded by disciples and followers and believers and they poured into one another and they did life together. You got that. You got the Holy Spirit. You got prayer. You got scripture. You got community. With all that... I want to say this, don't underestimate what God can do in you and through you. Don't underestimate that you can't break the stronghold you think you can't break. Don't underestimate that the thing that feels impossible is your life, in your life is impossible. I'm not saying if you have enough faith, God will always do it. I'm saying you better always believe and know that God, if he wants to, he can. <laughs> if he wants to, he can. There is nothing impossible to him. And so don't underestimate what God can do in you and through you. Ephesians 1.19 says, I hope you get your, Paul says, I hope you get your mind around this, that you've got this power inside of you, and it is the same power that resurrected Jesus from the grave inside of you. What else do we do with it? We get to look to him for help. In such an incredible way because, see, he lived it. The other verse is around Hebrews 2.17. It says, for this reason he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. And that he might make atonement for the sins of the people. Because he himself suffered when he was tempted. Because he did this, he is able to help those who are being tempted. While Jesus on this earth veiled his divinity, he has veiled it no more. <laughs> And you have an advocate with the Father, and you have someone that can help you. Someone that has walked the same path we have walked. Not some obscure God that is just looking down and doesn't know what it feels like to be cheated on. That doesn't know what it feels like to be betrayed. 
that doesn't know what it feels like to struggle with temptation when the devil took him out there and tempted him and tempted him and tempted him. He knows exactly what it feels like. So when you go talk to him, you're not talking to someone who's unaware or can't, can't empathize with you. He can help you because he walked it. He walked it. He lived it. He really was a man. He really was a baby. He was a toddler. He got lost by his parents. <laughs> he sees you. Now, he now knows all, sees all, and is with the Holy Spirit. He was grieved. He was betrayed. He was cheated on. He was treated utterly unfairly. The idea that Jesus surrendered his divinity, I hope you don't think this. I hope you don't think, well, that makes Jesus not as powerful as I thought he was. I want you to see that it makes him even stronger. I want you to see that he had the ability to surrender and as a man live into his destiny and his purpose. He started with these words that we have in this passage where he says, I must be about my father's business. Question. We ask ourselves, you see, we've been adopted into God's family as believers, and we're all sons of God, daughters of God. Begin to ask ourselves, are we living, are we about, on Monday, are we about our Father's business or ours? Are we about our Father's business or ours? Jesus gave all these promises in John. He said, if you ask, you'll receive it. Anyway, saying, when your will and your life and you're, you're living into what I have for you... Everything and anything will be available to you. You will never do without what you need to do my business and my work on this, on this earth. You have it. You ask, you're going to receive it. So the question becomes, are we about our, our, our business or his? Are we, as we said several weeks ago, surrendered harder, following more? Are we yielding to the Father's will for our life like he was? Now, is the father's business always, I got, that you're saying I need to just teach kids in Sunday school or do something at the church? No. You know, God has business in the school system. He has business at the hospital, on the construction site, in the courtroom. See, you can use whatever God has called you into in the classroom as a, as a student or college, like wherever you go. You can do those things about the Father's business. You can do those with the mindset that God has called you into that place to be light and darkness and do it for His glory and honor. Work as unto the Lord, not to the earth and masters. Thank you for joining us for this episode of Faith Life. Faith Life is a ministry of New Beginnings Fellowship Church located in Pikeville, Kentucky. You can find us on the web at www.nbfc.church or look for us on Facebook. Be sure to subscribe to Faith Life Podcast on your favorite podcasting platform and download each weekly episode. Join us next week as Pastor Jared Arnett delivers the 11th message in our series titled, Don't Put God in a Box. Again, thank you for joining us and we will see you next week as we walk the Faith Life.